Welcome back to another episode of Brevity Box. I'm Charlie. I'm without Brando today, and I'm going to let him make his sad excuses when he comes back because I don't think there's a good reason for him to miss an episode. Who cares if he has a nine to five job? I mean, this is about priorities. Anyhow, I'm on my own, so to speak, and my guest today is somebody I'm excited about. Um, you know, a longtime friend of mine that, uh, you know, looked better than me as a groomsman on my wedding day. And it's something I haven't gotten over quite yet. Uh, I still find it hurtful every time I look at my wedding photos. I, of course, I see myself and my beautiful wife and my groomsmen are there next to me. But there's this one guy who's clearly just hogging the spotlight. And, uh, and I, I just haven't forgiven him for it yet. But he's one of those people who's also the kind of guy you want on your side. He's one of those guys that you're glad is out there, like, doing good. You know, like a do-gooder. I mean, that's essentially the way that I stupidly understand his career is that he's basically out there keeping hardworking people from ending up face down in the guarantees. He's one of my best friends, and I'm glad to have him on the show. Dave, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for taking the time to do it. Yeah, no problem, Chuck. Happy to be here. Charlie Very Chuck kind Charles. words, and I obviously came to your wedding specifically to take the spotlight away from you and your beautiful wife. Yeah, and you, you succeeded. I mean, you danced your way down the aisle, clearly highlighting cruelly how the other people didn't have rhythm. You had to <laughs> shove your rhythm in everybody's face. Look at Dave. Dave can dance. Dave looks good in clothes. Another thing that the white man is shoving in people's faces. Right? <laughs> no, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> funny to have you on. Uh, you know, I've been making my first few episodes in the show uh, clearly about my friends, but I kind of noticed that I have this interesting cast of individuals that I call my friends. And it maybe my wedding was that that uh, moment where I kind of looked around me and felt really lucky that I had all these kind of unique and different people that I was connected with. And our friendship stands out to me. Everybody has their own reasons, but man, I've never had in my adult life. Like I remember when I was a kid, you'd run across people like you, some kid on the playground and you just knew you had that stepbrothers moment. Did we just become best friends? And I remember that <laughs> moment uh, as an adult at a, you know, a wedding of really, I hardly, I knew one person that was connected to the group. And it was like you and I in a hotel lobby in the middle of the night. And that's not where we met. I know we met when I kicked your ass on a, uh, a Grand Prix go-kart track. I think I lapped you like three times. Grand Prix. Oh, man. I think we <laughs> I the big words. up a little bit there. <laughs> now, and let's not tell the story about how I paid the guy to tell me which was the fastest car. That, that may or may not have happened. Well, it doesn't really matter that you paid somebody for the fastest <laughs> go-kart that day. It's the fact that my dumbass somehow selected the slowest go-kart you did that like day. You were and the everybody on car. that day was passing me and fucking running into my backside on that track all day long. The, the, the funniest thing was is the way that while you were going around the track, you're literally looking at your car like you're you're a professional driver. Like, what can I do here? What's causing me drag? What am I making? <laughs> like, like the pushing the car along the track to try to get to go. That's the competitor in you, man. That's the competitor in you. <laughs> no, but I remember that lobby, middle of the night, 
trying not to get kicked out of a hotel on your buddy's wedding night. And you and I are tag teaming this hotel manager to make everything kind of 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On bachelor party night. And it was that stepbrothers moment, like where I think we both kind of realized we were riffing and we, we kind of had this guy like a good WWE match. We knew we were about to pin him and get the three count. And it was like from that point on, it was just friends. Easy, easy peasy. Well, and I mean, uh, I'm sure you remember this. Obviously, that was that was <laughs> that was a crazy night. That was a crazy uh, wedding crazy night. We weren't night. even getting kicked out of our own hotel room. We we're getting kicked out of one of the bridesmaids' <laughs> hotel room that she allowed That's us right. to stay in. Um, <laughs> but I mean, just coincidentally, you know, at the time you were living in Tucson, and I had I think probably two weeks prior to us going down to uh, to Arkansas for that that get together, uh, I'd been notified that I was being transferred to Tucson. So, I mean, it was serendipity That's all right. the way. So even though Weird. it was like, absolutely kind of strange Weird. that we met, obviously would have been fast friends anyway. But, uh, you know, once I moved down there and, uh, you know, said this at your wedding, you know, you and Brooke, um, you guys really, really saved my life because moving to a new place and not knowing anybody, uh, it's a tough thing. And uh, I don't know what I would have done without you guys. <laughs> and you hated it there. <laughs> oh, fuck you hate if there's seriously the worst place, the worst place for somebody who loves the outdoors, who's from Minnesota is to send them to Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> I mean, no, I will be honest. I mean, scenery <laughs> right? in Arizona is probably the only thing that I was like, man, this is beautiful. Even when I lived in Phoenix for that short amount of time, it was, it was fine. But the heat and the people, no, I'm sorry. People, apart from you guys, apart from some family and other folks, obviously Brando and Mike and and those kind of guys. Uh, oh yeah, no, you know, no don't out the exceptions there, Gringo. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you know. <laughs> but on the but on, I at mean, the same time, I mean, working okay. in in what I do and going to Arizona and doing what I do is like the you you got to be ready for ad, adversity. You got to be ready for, um, you know, people not exactly welcoming you with open arms. Once you say, Hey, I'm here to talk to you about forming a union in Arizona. And they're like, we don't need no union. We don't want no union. And yeah. Red state illegal. big time. Yeah. You know, not like, so Minnesota let's just jump region. into that because, well, and then, so this is a lot of, uh, I mean, your Minnesotaness is a lot of yeah. uh, what I want to oh, try yeah. to talk about because of recent events. And, and obviously you're one of the, um, I think you're a good representation of a blue collar liberal, you know, and, and I, I don't think there's a lot of that salt to the earth liberal voice out there enough personally. And you're also kind of this, you know, you've chosen a career out of making that fight. And I want I want you to be the one to describe it because I'm going to do a terrible job. I mean, I, I say, like I said at the intro, you know, keeping people from ending up face down in the guarantees. I like saying that it's totally a steal from Beck and a great song, but it fits. <laughs> but maybe you can do a better job of telling us what it is that you do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gone by many different titles but essentially i think what most people would probably understand is that i i'm a union representative and i 
fight for people that are facing difficult situations in their work life. Um, you know, there's a lot of different functions that unions provide and that uh, I think is probably on the upswing as far as popularity is concerned. And that's actually a pretty recent development that is hugely um, encouraging, I think, to, to our world. It's, you know, the resurgence of the labor movement writ large, you know, not specific unions, but fight for 15. Um, the COVID obviously has really brought uh, forward a lot of the safety issues that are out there in the workplaces. Um, you know, I, what I do now is a lot different than what I used to do. I got into to the union world by being a member of a union and for running for steward of my shop uh, when I was a security guard. Um, I lost that election, but, you know, I think I started really getting more interested in, in um, kind of the economy and the uh, partition of, of wealth to the partition of labor against that wealth um, and how really there's nothing that is going to exist except for labor's support in that uh, and that being not the labor movement, but obviously people working and people um, making sacrifices yeah. for their families and supporting each other when things, uh, when the chips are down. Um, so I went from there, uh, to just, you know, I was looking for an actual career move. I graduated from college and I started organizing. I started working with, um, uh, service employees, international union, and, uh, started working on a child, uh, in-home daycare campaign here in Minnesota. And I believe that was 2005, maybe I spent a long time. Um, and from there I went, so that was, that was right, right before we met. Yeah. Well, let's see what had happened. Cause we met, we met in 2006. Yeah, so it started there. I was in a, yeah. I was kind of an intern apprentice thing, kind of got the bug for it. Um, and essentially I was driving around Minnesota, knocking on people's doors at, that were um, licensed in-home daycare providers and talking to them about forming a union because it had actually just occurred for the first time in the United States in Illinois uh, before we had started working um, in Minnesota and trying to organize those childcare providers. Uh, from there, I went uh, and I applied to the training program through SEIU in DC and uh, was accepted. Um, that was a two-month stint uh, DC. I got sent to ATL, and we organized the Airmark employees at Turner Field. Uh, this is when the Braves were doing super bad, so I went to a ton of Braves games that year. <laughs> um, there was nobody in the stands, <laughs> and uh, you know we we got that. There was four different units that we were units are bargaining units or, or populations of workers. It's just kind of just a stupid you know it's technical lingo of how they organize things within sounds the military almost act. units yeah. platoons right kind of um so we got four units i believe it was you know sales uh, it was concessions there was environmental services and something else i can't remember we got all four units to, to majority card signs uh signing of membership cards within two weeks um, and we're talking like strong majorities, like 60% plus. Um, and I heard some of the most wow. tragic stories of my life. Uh, you know, I'll never forget some of the stories that I heard. Um, 
driving through the poorer parts of uh, of Atlanta, College Park, Decatur, uh, and even you know some folks that were out sta- you know outside of that uh, Atlanta area. We were staying in Union City, which is just south of Atlanta, and some of the rural parts just absolutely depressed. Um, you know, I'll never forget one story. Just a small little quick aside is this. Yeah, please. Woman yeah, I was, was about uh, to ask. Yeah, give us, give me some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was this this uh, this woman who we were talking to at her house, and uh, the whole family was there. That's what I, one thing I remember. Her whole family lived there. Now I'm talking like 20 people lived in this two bedroom apartment. And she was telling me the story about how she worked for the contractor Aramark, which is uh, obviously one of the largest food service and contracting companies in the whole entire world. And she, yeah. her job was to sell merchandise. And uh, remember, I said it was one of the one of the downs uh, downturns of Atlanta baseball, so nobody was coming to the games. But they they stationed her on the fourth level concourse, so nobody's sitting there. Essentially, nobody's up there. And she has this merchandise cart that she she is uh, she's staffing, and. She's only selling last year's merchandise, the merchandise that nobody buys, right? Nobody buys this shit. Nobody bought it last year. Nobody's buying it this year. And she's making, I want to say it was, it's below $3 an hour to staff this, this cart. Because her cart. What's that? With the commission where they, they set up, was it supposed to be a commission sales or they were just, that's the pay rate was $3. I think it was just the pay rate. I mean, some of these details are getting fuzzier and fuzzier as these things go on. Um, But obviously she's not selling anything. So if it was commissioned, she's not getting shit. And if she's making this amount of money, it's because there's no other opportunity for her in her area. There's no other economic opportunity if they were, um, they were afforded. I mean, Turner field, smack dab south of the city center it's in a depressed area obviously it was a land grab when they built that thing um probably got it on the cheap um but anyway you know even i mean that's hard enough to hear but the other side is that this woman um her her stand was set up right across the concourse from a bathroom and she was not allowed to just go and use the bathroom she had to shut her stand down. She had to calculate all of the money in the till. She had to close it all off to go to the bathroom. That took 15 minutes to close it all down. And then she had come back. She had to, cl- she had to open it back up, which took another 15 minutes. And I just, I mean, hearing things like that is is really, um, it's infuriating. It's really something that makes you really angry. You know, so that's kind of the drive that I had, especially over something, something like that too, like a, a literal call of nature. Right. Well, I mean, it's 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 a corporate standard to to these things. This is how we do things in the corporate world. You know, everybody's kind of running on this this real strict line. And in the South, I mean, you obviously, you know, you live in New Orleans. You know exactly. When you grew up there. You lived your whole life in the South, basically. Um, but you know, that's, that's the most tragic thing that I think I've ever heard in my life was this, this woman's story. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on with that union down there right now. It was a unity local. It's between SEIU and some other organizations. 
Um, I hope it's still going on, but you know, from there after well, ATL, go ahead, please. Uh, I got sent back to Minnesota and then, you know, my life has just been up until about 2008 traveling from place to place, working campaigns, organizing campaigns. When we were in Tucson, we got uh, the Pima County workers, uh, the first labor agreement in the history of Arizona. When I was there, I helped. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, every, all the county workers there, except for the courts. Courts are actually um, carved out as being not able to organize because uh, they're not executive branch in, in public sector. But yeah, we got them to their first labor so, agreement. It's, it's not it's not like a contract for Arizona because Arizona is a right to work state. And what that means is basically union security laws are illegal. Um, so, you you know, you can have members, but then you have to represent everybody, even if they are not a member of the union. Um, so you can't put that kind of clause into into your labor agreement. So all that it was effectually called was a memorandum of understanding between the union and the county. Wow. So what would you attribute the uptick in interest into unions, not just in Minnesota, but you're seeing that across the country? I mean, what would you attribute it to in your experience? You've been doing it for enough time. Yeah, I, I mean, first and foremost, the the wage and the the wealth gap, the income gap that exists. Um, I think it's there's a a feeling that that there's not any opportunity for advancement, and it's it's actually funny because, not that I'm I'm encouraging of this at all, but the the meme culture out there about labor is. <laughs> a lot of people are saying, oh, you know what we should do? We should band together and we should like go talk, you know, talk to the bosses collectively um, and, you know, try to improve conditions <laughs> that way. And it's like, you know, this concept's been around for quite a long fucking time. It's called unionizing. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, but it's no, interesting right, because right. the way, I mean, you see this politically, you see this socially, you see it environmentally, you know, the pendulum swings back. And, you know, ever since about 1962, union density has been decreasing in this country. Um, and the pendulum is swinging back because it's, it's a longstanding um, fact-based uh, uh, situation that union shops make more money. They have better protections, obviously. They have better health care. Um, and as that density goes down, you see the inequality go up. And so those those two things are going to be at a such uh, such a large divide at this point that the pendulum is going to swing backward. It's going to swing back to people do you demanding feel like, more. Um, yeah, I think so. Do you feel well? I mean, this is an obvious yes answer, but I'd like more of your insight on it. Uh, how much of an emphasis, or I guess, where do you think COVID put a? a a specific highlight on that like are you seeing that as as like where does it play a role in that motivation not i mean i think that clearly it affected the entire job market i know uh people that are working from home and now permanently like they're not going back to their offices in some cases um did that put a highlight for a lot of people on on uh you know 
I mean, the controversy aside, as far as the loans and support, big businesses taking advantage of that, I didn't pay attention and maybe I missed it. Did it affect a large swath of the kind of people that you represent and it put a bigger emphasis on the importance of what you do? Like, did you see that? I think not, not in my world, but at, I think, <clears throat> you know, 2020 was such a dumpster fire, but it also, you know, I had a lot of, uh, a huge positives happened that year as well. Um, but one thing that I mean, for my realization is just, you know, when the chips are all down like that, who becomes the essential, what are the essential functions that you need as, as a person and as like a family member and somebody who's trying to watch out for your kids and, and those kind of things. And all of a sudden I think it really pushed forward the idea that the essential functions of society and the people that are kind of that public facing every day, the folks that are working at a grocery store or a gas station or your liquor store or uh, healthcare workers. I mean, healthcare workers, I guess, pushed aside. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, these essential workers are, they're the ones that are most danger. And they're the, they've been the ones that are, are most maligned, have been um, relegated to the bottom economic rungs of this country for a long fucking time. You know, and that yeah, was highlighted in such so. a uh, an unavoidable and unmistakable way for such a large percentage of the population. Um, I mean, I think when we talk about essential workers, most people's minds pre-pandemic would say it's your firefighters, it's your police, it's your healthcare workers, utility operations. Um, you know, the things that make the functional pieces of of life continue on. Can I flush my toilet? Can I turn my lights on? Um, but when those things are not, <laughs> yeah, the things going away, but the things of like, Oh, can I go to the grocery store to, and still be safe? Um, can I, you know, can I do the regular things that I used to take for granted, like go to the mall or take a walk outside or, you know, um, all of those things. I think it really made a very stark contrast to, Oh shit. Like if I didn't have these things, where the fuck would we be then? Like these people need to be be taken or, or, better care of, or to recognize what goes into them, right? Because I've made that metaphor before about uh, a construction metaphor that you were alluding to, as far as like how your home works. You know, I I um, I've remodeled more than one home that Brooke and I have lived in, and and it's always the joke where if I'm working on anything that goes on behind the walls. Okay. If I'm working on plumbing, electrical, uh, anything where if it works how it's supposed to, you'll never think about how it works. You'll never think about that. It, you know, you'll never know how much time went into building that up so that it never has to be thought about. You just know that it's there and it's a staple and you never think about it again. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a joke in my house because, you know, if I do all the work on the plumbing and then cover everything back up with sheetrock, she can come in and go, what'd you do today? And I'm like, uh, well, I mean, I, you and know, like, well, hey, and the toilet the still doesn't work. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's a bucket. Uh, I didn't get enough done. No, I mean, you know, I, I, I do think it's, it's similar where you don't, you know, I, I don't think that the people would look and see that that much work goes into those everyday transactional moments that you just sort of move through and don't ever sort of pay attention to, you know? And yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like. I mean, and, and it's to me, I felt like uh, it was part of the missed communication in a lot of places in the country. I think I said more than one time on the show that I was really surprised, probably wrongfully surprised, but and impressed by how New Orleans handled it. And I think that the community here was very good about wearing masks, mainly because they have a. I had said they have the community here has a practical sense that there's only so many beds in a hospital and, and there's only, you know, that they don't want to overwhelm that because they've been in, in uh, natural disaster situations where they they're keenly aware it takes everybody doing their part. Right. And even if they don't agree politically or whatnot, for the most part, I saw in my area, I can't speak about rural Louisiana. Okay. But around my area, most people did wear, uh, mass and do the thing. And I, and I felt like the commute, like the, the statements from the governor, the statements from the parish president, we don't have counties here were, were very, very practical. It was very, this is not a political issue. Wear the mask, keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. And, you know, it was very much like, this is why we're doing it. Do it. Yeah. Cut all, you know, and if not, we'll shut down your restaurant. And there's been some of that. There's definitely people that are willful, uh, and I'm not, you know, I want to go down a negative path talking about them, but that's, you know, my, my wife's a healthcare worker and it was always the part that I, I found frustrating with people who were, you know, anti, uh, anything when it came to that masks or something like that, because for me, the sensibility was this person is, uh, like a special forces. They're not replaceable by people off the street. And if you want to make their jobs and lives easier and you want to make, you know, you want to keep it to where somebody who's got a, a, a appendicitis doesn't end up keeling over in an overcrowded ER, wear the masks. Real simple, right? Like to me, it was very practical for your own community, X, Y, Z. And, you know, uh, without getting into names and who said what, that's where I think it got made into these bigger issues, right? It got made into these, I'm weak, you're a sheep, blah, blah blah you know well, and i mean it's just <clears throat> what a dumb thing to hang your hat on i mean the thing that uh, i, I just well never said. understood the argument the opposite well oh, like, said. You know, it's my freedom to to not wear a mask and it's like what fucking freedom are you leaving are you losing i mean honestly what freedom are you losing by not by not wearing a mask or by wearing a mask your freedom to infect other people with a deadly disease like that's not a freedom that's not your right you don't you don't have the right to do that it always well, and if I wanted to make somebody conform, I would have, you know, I would have done it with something more stylish. You know, it wouldn't have been just like, I, I just, pants. I mean, pants I, for, <laughs> for Christ. I mean, what I think more men should be wearing capris and I'm ready to say it here on the show. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I just thought. Oh man, I could make uh, just the absolute stupidest, cruelest short joke right now. Be... Oh, I, I'm setting you up. You missed so that. Well you missed that it. for me. You missed that. No, I love it. I lean into it. I don't have any issues. Is it because uh, capri I, I, pants are actually regular <laughs> pants for you? <laughs> hey, they were a husky boy's large when I got them. Okay. <laughs> You're just tired of having to hem those fucking pants every single time you go to this. It just, you know, the older I get, the fingers, man, not so much that, that articulation, very fine detail work. 
Now, you know, it's, it's, oh man, I mean, Brando. Oh, I wish Brando was here. Oh, Brando would be leaning into this. He, he, really would, he would have picked be. up on that immediately. We'd be going on this for like 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I wanted him here. I really couldn't get him to call in sick. He needed to do his job. I guess well, I got to yeah. have respect for that. But yeah, that's why he's here, man. Brando, Brando just takes me out at the knees and at any given <laughs> opportunity. And it's, it's often really funny, you know, or, or he'll just have the, he's got that voice, man, that, he can, I'll be exuberant and happy about something and he'll just kill the entire fucking move with two words. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll ask him some question in anticipation and be like, nope, don't care. And I'll be like, oh. <laughs> that was my whole show. That was all <laughs> I was going to do. <laughs> no, man, you, you yeah. had, you had, um, I mean, you hit it on the head, Sam, what a thing to hang your hat on. It, it, I wanted to ask you about this. I know we're taking kind of a left turn from you talking about your, your career That's and where right. you were going with it. But, you know, being from St. Paul, we're already kind of talking about politics. There's two main things I want to get your input on, because I know you'll have a lot of insight and perspective that I think I've been kind of hungry for since it happened, but also pertaining to how you manage relationships. Cause I think we both work similarly or have a similar, um, maybe similar standards or, or boundaries, I guess. But so let's start with the big event from last year and you being, I mean, how long have you lived in? Yes. Your son's birthday. Let's start there. How is it to be a dad, man? I don't, I mean, look, we, we haven't said that, right. You're kind of still in the, the thrills of being a new parent. How old are your boys? Oh, my boys are three. Well, almost three. Warren is about to be three in March, and Holden is nine months on the 25th. And? So two boys, um, and obviously, I didn't think you were going to say the big thing that you wanted to talk about, but... Uh, no, 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 I'm glad know, we uh, We can talk about that Holden in a second. Was, There's a lot of you like with that. Yeah, no, Holden was, uh, Holden was born on that. On that day, on May twenty fifth, so you know my, Which, my wife. By and the I, way, yeah, let's let's. I mean, I, I want. I'm gonna give you. I want to set this up because uh, I I remember now that you've refreshed my memory about what was going on before then. We're not. We're not. We're failing to mention the fact that for you personally, that stress of having to go through uh, giving birth in the time of COVID must've been absolutely crazy. And, and again, my, my wife is a, a, a NICU employee, you know, RN. So right. I, I mean, I'm aware of those restrictions that must've been uh really tough emotionally, man. It was, it was. And I think obviously a lot more, um, a lot more so for my wife. Yeah. And, of course. uh, I mean, just the beginnings of that, it was, I mean, just the whole entire sequence of events, honestly, was kind of ridiculous. My son, we had his birthday party, uh, my older son, you know, we went to this indoor water park. We just had, you know, all just the best time at all the people there. This is March. So, I mean, at that point, I had honestly been not touching surfaces for two months at that point already. I mean, I not... Not to say, hey, everybody, I told you so, but in January, I was like, 
this shit coming out of Wuhan is, is going to get crazy. It's going to come all over the world. Um, I was stashing napkins in my pockets. Wouldn't touch any door handles, wouldn't do anything. Uh, but there we were, you know, in this big wow. water park and uh, having this fantastic time uh, for his second birthday. And then the day after that, he had uh, a, a minor surgery. Um, so it was an elective surgery that he had to get. He had this thing in his mouth. It was called a mucosil that you needed, needed to be surgically removed. Yeah. You know, had to go under anesthesia, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that happened the day after. And then um, three days later, uh, they canceled all elective surgeries in our state. So we just snuck in the surgery that we've been wow. kind of planning on for a number of months. And then two days after that, the whole entire state um, shut down, essentially. Um, so we were like, okay, well, this is you know going to be a short-term thing. And we were hearing some of the reports coming out of New York at the time. And New York in March and April were the, the epicenter for our country, obviously. And some of the things that we were hearing about mothers going in and giving birth was just absolutely fucking barbarian, you know. Uh, spouses or partners were not allowed in the room for the birth um you know if there was any kind of test uh the came back positive the baby would have to stay in the NICU for two weeks at least uh the mother wouldn't even get to to hold the baby after his birth so i mean between march and and may we had had just a number of different kind of uh fear-induced uh anxiety attacks about what what was making it look like? And then, um, you know, thankfully there was more information and more data that was reviewed before we ended up going into the hospital. My, my wife ended up being 42 weeks. I want to say 41 or 42 weeks when we finally said, you know, this baby ain't coming by himself. Um, so we got into the hospital, um, (laughs) on, on May 25th, I'm not sure if we had heard about what had happened in Minneapolis at that time. Um, when we got to the hospital, it was in the early parts of the evening. So I think in, in the day we had uh, my sister-in-law and her two kids come down and stay at our house to, to watch after my older son. And so we're probably just going through all that. I don't think we had heard actually what, what had happened. Um when we got into the hospital, you know, my son was born at 10, 10, 16 that night. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully I was allowed to be in the room. We had to be wearing masks the whole entire time whenever there was staff in the room. So th- through the birth, you know, I was in a mask and uh, face shields. I mean, it was just all very, there's a certain amount of connection that I think you make with the nursing staff in any, I mean, let's be honest that yeah. nurses make, no, any it is. Kind of, they make everything work. It's the nurses. I agree. It's, it's not the doctors. It's fucking not the doctors for sure. It's, um, the, it's the, nurses, the nurses. The nurses are 100% and the, LPNs the and yeah, it's, the it's those crew, folks man. and you make a connection with your nurses. You I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 25th, goes by you know the 26th we wake up early in the morning obviously we got this newborn baby with us and uh you know we turn on the television and we're seeing just shit fall apart 
crazy, crazy things and taking should... place in our cities. Now, before before you go further, because I want to get that part from you too. Thank, um, good to like. I, of course, I know everything turns out okay, but you know, let's uh, remind those who are listening. If you're not fresh on what was going on around May 25th in uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's uh, and the repercussions from the death of George Floyd at the hands of police officers, and this is uh, you know started uh an uproar and now you now of course it was on the day of so you of course you would you're you're dealing with the birth of your son there's no way you're you're completely unaware of it and so you guys sort of start coming to when all of this is getting built up and about to explode yeah and then this is all in the backdrop of other extremely tragic you know police involved shootings and events that have happened in this in this area um philando castile was shot and killed on on a pretty close to actually where I where I live um, in Falcon Heights, which is just I did not know that. Ball. Yeah, I mean, Philando Castile wow. was. Um, you know, this is this is this is this the hypocrisy of of gun rights, folks. Is that Philando Castile was a was a uh, a legal gun owner could conceal and carry, had a license to do so, notified the police officer that he was a licensed gun owner and you know all these motherfuckers saying well oh, all lives matter and and uh you know got to defend the gun rights where the fuck were they when Philando castile got shot and killed by um a saint anthony police officer you know that's that's just the, the definition of hypocrisy and we all know why it is because he was a black man uh, in America, and uh, yeah, if they would have sold it, if they would have sold it as gun rights owners, yeah, where were they to defend that? No, I mean that's, yeah. So I mean the again, the well guy said. Who had, so I mean that was had, a there was a building up in the area. There was tension already building up, yep. and it surmounted in a in a what the eight minute video with George. Of, I don't or, remember what it was. what happened with George Floyd. With George Floyd, yeah, it was eight over eight minutes, almost nine. But I mean, then you had the guy yeah. that shot Philando Castile get off. Yeah, he was tried and he was acquitted. That's right, acquitted. And then Justine Ruschek, or Justine Diamond, uh, was shot and killed by a black officer, Muhammad Noor, and he was found guilty. So you have this dichotomy, this this different approach, and I think very obviously a different view that people have about the way that justice is being served. But- Obviously, localized for a us, different but set of writ rules. large for the greater number of people. The the, the one police officer that has been, um, <coughs> excuse me, convicted of any crime related to a shooting death is black, and the victim is white. Whereas you turn the tables on that, and you know, Geronimo Yanez, obviously, different he was set of the rules. police different officer who shot Philando Castile. Um, lighter skinned guy. I'm not entirely sure of his ethnic background, but you know, then you have all of this coming to a head when a piece of shit, Derek Chauvin kneels on a man's neck for almost nine minutes and kills him in front of a whole entire crowd of people at 38th in Chicago for allegedly passing a $20 counterfeit $20 yeah. bill. So essentially this police officer uh, and, and the authority that 
our society instills into that obviously very dangerous job was that this man could lose his life over 20 bucks at the hands of police. Um, so obviously, right. And, and I mean, not even that, and the connection, the two of those guys had, and then, yeah, it was just a, a horrible image, a horrible moment in history. It results in chaos breaking out in a, in a, in a place that you've called home for, I mean, this is, you are a, a, a true diehard twin cities, man. Like totally, totally. I mean, I got that tattooed on my chest. Literally. Yeah, you do. And I mean, you know, I am from Wisconsin. Like, we we'll want to point out, and most you know, I was going to bring it up. Minnesotans, <laughs> they don't want to fucking accept it that we got transplants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and what I think what's interesting is that this, you know, this whole I think people forget that Minnesota has a huge red rural population like Wisconsin mm-hmm. does, and there are these big, deep blue, purple epicenters. But yeah, that there's a yeah. a lot of those uh, rural voices are are still really loud, and I think a lot of controversies come from that. You know, both in Wisconsin and Minnesota this year, it's been a big highlight on your your area of the world. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin obviously from 2016 and the shocking upset of our ex president to take Wisconsin in 2016. To flipping back to to blue again, um, but you got some dumbass like Ron Johnson still being the senator, one of the senators from Wisconsin. Um, yeah, you know, thankfully, I mean Minnesota, honestly, and if you just look at any kind of electoral map, we're we're a, a kind of an island in the upper Midwest: <clears throat> North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan. That's true. All turned red, and I mean. North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, those are already red, but Michigan, Wisconsin. Yeah, always red, yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, Minnesota's kind of smacked there. We have, I think we have a very, uh, a very balanced approach to governing in our state. Uh, I mean, we're probably one of the more successful states, I would say, in the country. We do have a uh, divided government. Uh, the Republicans control our state Senate, Democrats control the state House, and we have um, successive Democratic governors in the, in the executive. Uh, we've worked, I think, overall very well together to balance a budget, to um, pass and uh, not It's a pass fun place to visit. It's a beautiful city. I mean, they, they clearly do well. What's that? Say that again. I said it's a beautiful city. It's one of my favorite places to visit. It's uh, you know, I mean, you can tell the success of the place. I mean, it's it's an it's a nice it's a nice state to to visit as a tourist. You know, I mean, it's I've been to Duluth with you guys. I've been to mm-hmm. a, a cabin further north of that with another mutual friend of ours. And I mean, I, you know, I like I like a lot that Minnesota has to offer, including a lot of my friends live up there. But I think that my sweetness on the city is part of what one, you know, I, I wanted to touch on the riots because there's, you know, it's one of those things where if that's your home and you saw these things sort of happening and I didn't, you know, I didn't take it into consideration that, uh, that's that emotional roller coaster must've been nuts. I mean, you must've been, I, I don't know. I can't, have you recovered yet? I mean, that, 
that seems like it would have been exhausting to go through the exhilaration birth of your your second child and then right into the city's in chaos and buildings are on fire and you're the center of the 24-hour news cycle you know and you know it's just well and i drove through a while later um i went to college at a small little liberal arts college here in st paul called hamlin university in the heart of the midway is the is the area it's obviously not a real creative term it's midway between st paul downtown and minneapolis downtown so it's the midway but driving down it it's got this major thoroughfare called snelling avenue and you drive down that area and it was just seeing the landmarks from you know your late teens early 20s things that you knew were just you know you thought were always going to be there and the, the things that were just burned out completely down to rubble uh, there's an old pharmacy it had been around since the 1940s called Lloyd's Pharmacy that just was completely decimated, just burned down to the ground um, right at the corner of Minnehaha and Snelling. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a shock. It's an absolute shock when you walk out of a hospital. You got this, <laughs> lack of a better term, this precious little child with you that you just brought into the world. And the world that you just brought him into is on fire. Um, figuratively yeah, literally. and literally. But the thing that I remember most, because we had, we stayed 36 hours, <clears throat> you know, they wanted to get us in, get us out. But we stayed until, um, I believe it was a Wednesday that we left in that morning. Um, got home, you know, introduced my older son to his new brother and, you know, we're trying to get the comfortability and the familiarity back. Um, you know, make sure that, that our older son knows that, you know, it's still love him. He's still our firstborn. He's still our, our boy. Um, you know, after that, I was like, Oh, we got to go to the grocery store. So I, um, you know, made sure everything was all right at home, headed out to the grocery store. Uh, there's a, a cub foods is a chain grocery store around our area, just real close to my place and took my regular way to get there turned off the highway, took the exit off the highway. And then you got to turn on this little frontage road, take a left on this little frontage road. And, um, I was about to take this left. And then I see this caddy just like take, take this corner, probably like 30 miles an hour, just right around this corner stops right in front of me. And their, their trunk is flapping up and down. It hadn't been secured. And, you know, passenger jumps out of the, out of the front. Goes, tries to secure the trunk because there's just a bunch of stereo equipment in there. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, um, shit. So I, I'm like, all right, and they get back on the highway. They're driving to wherever they're doing. And I drive up to the to the grocery store. And that shit is boarded up um, because it's on the other side of the parking lot is the strip mall. And the strip mall, it's called the Sunray Strip Mall, oh, um, at the time was being actively looted while <laughs> when I pulled up. I'm like, okay, well, we're not getting groceries here at all. So went back home. Um, I think later that day, I tried to go to some of the exurbs, you know, Woodbury, Oakdale. There's a bunch of grocery, Hy-Vee, Cubs, all that type of shit. Everyone I went to was just closed, 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 closed. So I ended up, you know, I didn't have any, we didn't have any food. We didn't have any shit that we need. We have two kids at home and we can't get any food anywhere. 
So I ended up having to drive to Wisconsin wow. to go and get food. I had to drive to to Hudson to get to their grocery store so that I could get groceries. I mean, that kind of it was a huge frustration, but it all of a sudden was like it like this shit is gonna this impacts all of us and it impacts obviously a, a uh, uh, the black community and the uh, BIPOC community a hell of a lot more than it impacts me. Um, you know, but I can't get groceries just like nobody else can get groceries. And I got a newborn son at home, so it's not like it's an option. Uh, I'll never forget that. Well, it just affects, it affects everything around you, right? You, it's, it's, um, the closest thing I can relate to that is, you know, I was living in Arizona at the time Hurricane Katrina hit the new Orleans area. And I had come from Arizona to help my sister work on her house and uh, some other relatives to lesser extent. But I remember driving, you know, my cousin took me to his house in uh, Chalmette, like in this, you know, lower, like lower in the floodplain, like got really hit once the levee walls broke. And I remember the desolation of this place that, you know, maybe I didn't have this, like I knew what it was supposed to look like because I had seen it uh, hundreds of times as a kid and it being in such desolation and just things flattened and, and it impacted the entire city because everything was out of stock and everything was overwhelmed. I mean, from, from, you know, bread to drywall, everything was unavailable. Mm-hmm. So there, there was uh, that's the closest thing I can relate to that, that feeling of, of, um, of impact. And from afar, it just, it, you know, it, it always looks worse on the camera because I think your mind imagines that that's every part of the city, you know, but right. it's, it, right. it's, it's, it's amazing that that area affects the whole city. It affected everything. You had to leave the state. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, I want to be clear that, I mean, that's, that's just an impactful thing of the way that I remember. I mean, cause I don't remember everything about those three days, but you know, I remember watching the TV. I remember having to do the grocery run. I remember, <laughs> I remember the tornado warning that had taken place the day in between us getting to the hospital and leaving the hospital and the fucking tornado warning coming right at a hospital. <laughs> Uh, we had to get into the bathroom <laughs> with a newborn kid because I mean, they didn't this... have any kind of <laughs> protocol to like. As crazy you know, as it sounds, like... I mean, as crazy as it sounds, this is like a four days of a good comedy movie. You know what I mean? Like a guy <laughs> right? just can't get back to his normal life. Everything I, I is. Know. And I'm not trying to make light. I hope people understand. I'm just making a, a little moment of of brevity, wow. as it were. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I get it. It just can't imagine it. You know, and I wanted to to go through it. Must have been just just crazy. Has everything? Uh, where are we at now with the way that, that area of the city looks? I mean, is it is it still a, a um, scar on the on the face of everything? Lake Street is still struggling. I mean, Lake Street is is the is a street that goes all the way through both cities. It connects over the Minnesota or Mississippi River. Lake Street is still a lot of it. Um, and I haven't driven down there actually in a long time, but uh, just seeing news reports, they're still struggling. A lot of the local businesses, a lot of the, um, 
a lot of the um, smaller business owners, they didn't, you know, they didn't get a whole lot of bailout. They didn't get a whole lot of assistance from the state or the feds. So they're still struggling. Um, the Snelling Avenue, where I used to live in Midway, um, they still got scars. Uh, I had a, you know, my battery went out in one of my cars and I familiarity with a couple different auto zones and O'Reilly's and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the sure. ones that I went to, they're still closed. They got, they got looted and burned out. They're not opening back up. So yeah, I mean, there is still some, some impact that's minor inconvenience though. I mean, that is, Oh, I can't go and buy a battery. No, I'm not so much somewhere. talking about your lack of ability to buy a battery. I'm, I'm right. more kind of saying, you know, pertaining to the, the, the essential individuals and their, their livelihoods, you know, those things get, it was already hard enough when you've got a lot of restrictions and people losing out on opportunities to make money. And then you go and you just take away those inline places and uh, you burn them to the ground. I mean, that's, it's of course going to be a struggle. You know, I'm, I'm more, the impact is not just obviously not just you can't buy a battery at that one auto zone. <laughs> it's, it's more, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <Still> <laughs> Man, I, I can't, every time I, uh, random thought here, man, I can't think of you and cars without thinking of Buick. I, it's yeah. the funniest thing because I have, I have a lot of different people who've introduced me to good music, but you know, I liked, I like the roots. And then I took a ride with Dave around St. Paul in his Buick. Oh yeah. Just bumping some roots Cover to cover, Buick Regal, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you you're you're always gonna make me think of Buick and the Roots, and as and every time the Roots comes on, my Brooke and I will either say, "Damn, we got rooted," or "God damn you, Dave, why did you?" Because <laughs> then we're hooked. Then we're stuck. We're stuck in a root hole. <laughs> you have a lot of time to think about all those things, haven't you? <laughs> Oh man! Yeah. It's just, well, it's just a fond memory. I think it's a funny thing. It's uh, you know, it's a lot of like I said, you're a fucking cool dude, man. I'm glad to have you as a friend, you know. And then having you out there dealing with all this is, and you look the way that you you light up when you're talking about your family, man. I I I have uh, I remember having a conversation with you at my house when you were in Tucson, and. You know, if I talk to five or six different friends and I'm asking them about where they're looking at themselves 10 years from now, you know, a lot of them would always kind of have that. Well, I don't know if I want to have a family. I don't know if I want to do this. And I'm one of them. I didn't know. I don't know. And I, you were one of those guys who was like, nope, I want to have a family. I want to have a couple of kids. I want to be a good dad. I mean... You're kind of following through, man. You're, you're being a you're being the good dad. You're raising. You're getting your own band. Basically, you got your band. <laughs> Baseball team. Yeah, you and your two athletic super sons. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Warren is a tall little beanpole, and uh, Holden is a small little bowling ball. And you're loving every minute of it. I I mean, yeah, it's. It's crazy. I mean, you. I love being a dad, but fucking parenting sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being honest about it, right? Oh, That's for sure. I, I mean, I ain't got no qualms about. Like, my boys are great. I love them. To do anything for them, I'd give anything for them. Um, 
but when they will, I mean, a three-year-old has a certain way about them. And that way is I'm going to scream in your face and I'm not going to do anything unless I think that it's going to be advantageous to me. Um, oh man. <clears throat> you know, or if it's not exactly what I want, I'm going to tell you all at once. I want five different things. And three of those things are contradictory to each other. Um, and then when I ask follow up questions, I'm Make not going to answer work. you. Right. And, and honestly, the, the answer to everything it is sounds like, like dating in high school to me. Do you want an it applesauce? sounds like dating in high school to me? <laughs> The answer to everything is, do you want an applesauce? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's, it's funny, a huge man. challenge, and I haven't had a challenge like this in my whole entire life. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh, I'm one of those people that's like, oh, I love a, love a great challenge. I always am looking for the next challenge. No, motherfucker, I want to have some relaxing times. I don't always <laughs> want to be fucking challenged. <laughs> I, I like for things to be movie. easy. I look for the lack right. of challenge. Yeah, <clears throat> it's like it's like do I do I live to work or do I work to live? Right? Like I'm not just looking for the next thing. I mean, that's obviously where I differ from a lot of people. I don't have that um, overall entrepreneurial drive and uh, that that thing. But I, you know, I do good work. I, hard, I work hard when I need to and. But I don't. I don't just look to to work all the time. I want to enjoy life. I want my work to support my life. Well, and my life is more than just me being a. Worker. Well, it's part. It's part of what I was alluding to, man. No, it's part of what I was alluding to, and in, in saying, you know, you're one of those guys that you want on your side. You know, I think you're you're 100 percent not a sellout, right? And that's really difficult. To and I'm not I'm not I don't want to make that sound like anybody who's any portion of a sellout's a terrible person, but I think we all know that, that it's rare to come across somebody who's just not a sellout, right? Whatever it is, and and maybe that's a little luck or a little hard work, and you know maybe a lot of different things, but you're not. You're thoroughly who you are, unabashed, and the thing that's interesting is that you kind of it works for you in your line of work too. Right. Cause that's part of, it's not just you doing something you don't believe in. You believe in what you do, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, Absolutely. where did that, that, does that just come from your, your awesome upbringing and your uh, spectacular family? I mean, you've met my parents. I have. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean that sarcastically. That's the thing. It sounded sarcastic. I'm just jealous. I mean, they're truly beautiful people. Yeah. And uh, they're actually here today. <clears throat> oh, are they? Older today. Yeah. Oh, Grandma man. and Grandpa, please they watch them on Fridays. Say hello um, for me, please. Yeah, I will. I absolutely will. Um, you know, I'm not... I, I mean, I don't know. Tracking that thing, like I said, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not one of those folks that is, <clears throat> you know, looking to build a life so that I can write an autobiography or a memoir. I'm just looking to live it. And um, he, Well, you fight so that other people can do that, too. Like as mild and, and, and I know that you're making, I know that you're kind of taking the wind out of it a little bit. And certainly if you were quiet and not out there uh, speaking up for any other person, I, I, I give it to you, right? It's this thing. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy, but I mean, you're, you're making sure that somebody who puts their time in and works hard every day has the opportunity to just kind of do exactly what you're describing right that just has the ability to do the simple thing of just enjoying their life and not having to be this person who's 
out there trying to write a memoir or build a life to write a memoir or you know right you're i mean i respect the shit out of that well man i I appreciate that i i mean i hope you know that i feel the same um you know i think that the one thing that you said kind of in your intro is you know this idea of of the trades and uh kind of the value that i think we place on it i think that that value is becoming greater and greater socially the social value that we you know oh um, yeah no not that always was, recognized than like the monetary value of something but like the importance of things and uh you know being able to to rely on a skill like that that's something that i've always envied uh about you is that you got a really really well honed and, and expert skill at your disposal um that you've developed and it's it's something that it's like you know i can go in and i can make an argument about somebody's situation i can look at uh evidence and i can poke holes in the way that people have have uh come to a particular conclusion but being able to see something from start to finish it's a it's a completely different um it's a completely different skill set than what i have and i i've always envied that about you envied i mean i've been oh, very yeah, I, I admire it yeah. in you i in, admire that about you. <laughs> the, the, of, 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 you don't envy anything else but this one little thing everything else you're kind of like i'm better than him <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> we also started the conversation that way <laughs> <laughs> no i you know just i don't really talk about it that much but yeah i i have a uh, uh, history in uh, construction and uh that's what he's talking about i I, you know, and it's to, to what you were referencing about what I was talking about was before we started recording, but I'll bring it up now. I just watched a PBS news hour that had a a video article that, um, had Mike Rowe giving his two cents on the opera uh, singer. Yeah. No, yeah. Dirty jobs, opera singer. Yeah. But he's an actual, he's an actual opera singer. His voice is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can tell when he speaks. No, but he, he, you know, he is kind of mentioning what you're saying is that the perspective is shifting from where there had been a stigma for trade oriented jobs. And for me, I think I, I experienced that stigma because I was sort of dense about that. Like I never took any shame or anything. I just enjoyed being independent. And then every now and then I would come across a homeowner and I'd get into a some sort of discussion about any topic that I was into and somewhere in the middle of it every now and then, you know, this fairly successful person on their own, right. Would sort of go, why are you doing this? You know, why, why do you choose to do this as a living? And I always kind of found that so trivial and it's just cause I didn't see it that way. Right. I didn't see myself right. in that same uh, lexicon or whatever, but so I was kind of dumb to it. And then, you know, I, I, I made a good living. I mean, it really supported me through a lot and I love being able to, to build and change my environment. And I think it's a, I think it's a useful set of skills, like you said, but um, it's cool to hear that there's this, this bigger embracing of how necessary it is and how there shouldn't be this. um, Oh, why are you doing that? You should go to, you should go to college and become a, you know, a lawyer or whatever, you know, And it's not so much that there's anything wrong with that, but there is a good career to be had and there's an honor in, in a hard day's work. And I, I like that that's like, I don't think that that's something people can't do with, right? Like you can be a millionaire and still have started 
you know, knowing how to work with your hands and knowing the value of a hard day's work. I like that guy. I like that millionaire better than say somebody who got it all from their dad and, you know, dodged the draft and became sort of some sort of comic book Ed fictional. In their you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just pulling from straws here, but I like the guys this, who this actually, imaginary character off the top of my head. Right. right. We're ta- let's let's go the extra mile. Let's just so that people know I'm not being, uh, you know, rooted in the real world. Let's just say he's uh, this ridiculous orange color with like uh, luck troll style hair. I mean, what other kind of ridiculous? Let's say he so wears somehow, a, you know, a, a silly tie, like a very long tie, to an excellent amount, but doesn't topple over. Right, right, exactly. And he's he's always got like pointy pinkies when he talks. I mean, I don't know how much I don't have that good of an imagination. I feel like yeah. I'm running out of ideas to make what I think would be the most ridiculous <laughs> compilation of traits to ever possibly be conceived of as an actual president. Okay. That's, How do I'm just humans a rich actually person. combine these things to make one particular individual? <laughs> I mean, is it literally, it's like, you can't write it. You could not write that character better. It's, it's uh, just insane. Villain. <laughs> Fucking villain. <laughs> Well, and so look, while while we're alluding to it in our own cynical, funny way, um, you know, now that you're, you know, something else we were talking about before we hit the record button uh, and something I wanted to ask you about, because it's something I deal with, too. Yeah, there's clearly a difference of opinions between people we, we know closely. Right. For me, it's family. Um, there's definitely friends we have in common. Mm-hmm. And. You know, you and I were just kind of going over how we view politics and you were actually I hadn't spoken too much. But you were saying in that moment that you were different than where you were, you know, 15 years ago. And that at one point you thought you might be somebody who'd be interested in being out there and taking the argument to them. And and what I'd like you to do is to kind of revisit that because I didn't record that and I wanted to. I want I want it because I think a lot of people are going through what you're talking about about how they see themselves and how they see, you know, politics and that they're steer- they're kind of steering clear of it. I mean, I'm doing that myself in a lot of what we're talking about episode to episode. I think in the beginning it was right there during election season. So it was like almost no way we could not talk about politics on every one. And now I'm glad to sort of be away from it, but how I still have to deal with it is in those relationships. So you know, I'm I'm going about my way of dealing with it, which I'll get into in a second, sure, as a reaction to you. But uh, why don't you tell me about how, kind of revisit what you were saying about your differences and where you were and how you see yourself and politics from back in the day and where you are now. And then secondly, how have you chosen to deal with some of those? Um, maybe I'll say more. I don't want to say stubborn because I, I don't want to take out anybody's you know right to believe whatever they want to believe. But let's say the more confrontational or, you know, people who want to be more trolling about it. Like how have you managed or managing that? And then we'll kind of go over that two part. Yeah. So two parter, I'm going to take the second part first. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that um, part of why I got involved in what I do, I mean, I, I, was uh, I mean very interested in in politics and history and um, I majored in double majored in anthropology and history in college and uh, <clears throat> you know was always 
always gone out and voted, always been kind of on the left side. Um, but my, my, I guess, development, my evolution has, you know, I guess as the fever pitch of things that happen both on the left and the right have increased over the years, my interest in being involved in those has definitely decreased and I've pulled away from, from that. And that's, it's difficult in my position because I'm inherently tied to the political machinations of our state. You know, I, I represent public sector workers and our, our ability to negotiate for wages and benefits and uh, the economics of, of what uh, working people go through is dependent on, on the amount of revenue that comes into the state. It depends on the amount of taxpayer money that goes towards those types of things. Um, public sector workers are always in the crosshairs of the right. Uh, you know, there's the old adage of, um, if you, uh, you know, want to be a lazy worker, go and work in the public sector, go and work for the government. Um, but you know, the folks that I represent yeah, right. now, uh, you know, they're, they're the folks that make this state run. They're the ones who, um, have the education, they have the experience, they have the, uh, the know-how and the fortitude to continue on even in times of pandemic or of quote unquote belt tightening that Republicans like to put out there. Um, you know, they're the ones that continue to go to work every single day to make sure that the services that people rely on and that, that even if you're saying, no, I don't want to have my taxes increased, but I want to have nice roads. Those two ideas don't always exist in the same universe together. Um, but you know, I, I am just so, so tired. I mean, I'm tired of it on the right. I'm tired of it on the left. I think the best way that I've been able to find, um, that I've been able to find for myself when I've had to go out there and either do phone banking or door knocking for, um, during the, the political season is, you know, you have your opinion. That's fine. Do not try to push it on me. We can talk. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight with you about shit though. Because anything that anybody's doing right now, they're not trying to convince the other side. Um, the last thing that I'll say about that is, is that right, right. with that in, in mind, that there is, there is no convincing. There is just, I'm going to scream louder than you. Um, is, is this idea that compromise is such a bad thing to do? You know, I've been reading some, some Washington Post and Politico uh, articles about this new freshman class where, and this is even worse than in 2010 when they said basically that compromise is a dirty word. We're not going to do that. Well, how do you govern a country, a state, a city, a county um, when you're not trying to reach agreement on an issue? I mean, that's that's one way of saying you're compromising. In fact, that's exactly what it is. You, you know, you're <clears throat> you're trying to find the middle ground. And, and one thing that I do and have learned over the years in my profession is that, I, you know, I used to be a, um, I hate management. I hate the employer. The employer is always bad. Labor is always good um, type of representative. And I'd go into my grievance hearings and my arbitration, you know, pound my fist on the table and point my finger and you're wrong. We're right. That kind of thing. 
the amount of cases that I was able to resolve was was very low because when you take that bet, nobody wants to work with you. Nobody has any faith that you're going to be somebody reasonable to to reach agreement with. The reasonable, um, yeah. There's not even any attempt. <laughs> But now, I mean, it's like that, the only way that we're able to get to any kind of resolution for anybody, anybody, you know, that goes through this process, even as an individual or goes through the political process as, uh, you know, trying to advocate for an issue is that they're trying to find resolution to the issue. Resolution is going to come in many, many different forms, and it may not come all at once. And that's what we need to get back to is are we a solutions oriented society where we're trying to actually find solutions or are we just trying to get um, our scorecard to be higher than the opposing side? And I think that's where I came from was like, fuck everything else that my opponent is doing. But it's like, nobody goes to bed happy at that point. Nobody has any, <coughs> nobody has any, um, any solace. There's nothing to move on to if you're just going to continue to hash out that same fucking fight every single time. And I guess, well, it's just so about the fight. Point, like it, it's just it becomes that it just becomes about the fight in yeah. those kids. Like it, the only people that benefit from that climate are are anything that that you can profit from ratings, because then all you want is the conflict and all the disagreement. You want hard boundaries because you need to have. You're not going to have get a lot of viewers out there so with, that we can, uh, compromise, we can point right? at them. Yeah, we need to we need to have people out right. there that we can vilify, so that it makes us feel better about our position, and it makes us feel better that we're the ones that are being victimized. Um, which is what a pathetic way to go throughout throughout life, in my opinion. But I think also at the same time, the way that I've very much been able to to uh, to stay out of that is just I don't do social media like i just don't do it yeah i've been outside of the social media loop for a good like i literally got back onto facebook because of this podcast mm -hmm. and i don't really even have that much and i and look i'm i'm gonna ha i'm growing into the uh you know we're going to have uh uh all of the different ones probably <laughs> like i'm gonna have twitter uh, i'm gonna have every one of them i'm gonna be managing at some point I don't really want to, but I might, you know, Instagram. I mean, all that's coming down the pike for me and I'm so reluctant yeah. to do it mainly because I steered clear of it in 2010 and kind of wore it as a badge of honor that I wasn't involved with it, you know, for a good decade. And, and I don't think there was anything genius about it. I just think I was one of those nerds that knew it, what it could be for trolling you know, from being a gamer, for being on other chat rooms or knowing what 4chan and 8chan were, I kind of had an idea of what could happen there and was disinterested. Plus, I wasn't really trying to look people up or, you know, oh, remember me from this. And I, I wasn't that guy, right. <clears throat> you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I take your I, point, you know. I did have a Facebook account um, for quite a while. And, uh, I mean, I think it still exists. I just have, I haven't touched it in probably five, six, seven years. I'm not even sure. The last it's time I tried to, to log go back into on it, there. Though, what's that? <laughs> and it was pretty funny to go back on there after that period of time though, because then you'll catch up with everything people have been sending you for a decade. Well, and, and I tried, but they think that I'm a Russian <laughs> bot. I think I, it was 2016 when I tried to go, I mean, it was five years ago. And they were like, oh, well, you know, we need to verify your identity. You need to scan and send us your driver's license 
And I was like, you're the you, one Facebook? they did that with. Huh? <laughs> you're the one person they did that with before it got <laughs> totally taken over by, by bots and likes. Like, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> what do you think I am? I'm just, I know my password and it's, I don't know. But at that point I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to scan my ID and send it to you. Like, fuck yeah, you, odd. big tech. Like, you don't get to do that. And then, and then I had, I had logged in one time before, I think a couple years, even before that. I was like, ah, I guess I should just check it. And the first thing on top of my, yeah. on, on the top of the newsfeed for me was one of my high school classmates had died from a heart attack. So I was like, yep. Gonna log off there. <laughs> that's that's all I need to fucking see. <laughs> I don't need to be here. picker upper, picker upper. Right, right. So, well, I just... so like, kind of to the second part. I cut you off before you answered the second part. Like, uh, you know, we're talking about this. We both kind of feel the same way. How do you deal with your your more outspoken friends uh, from the other side, as it were? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I just ignore your, it. I mean, you've just been kind of avoiding it. I just ignore it. I mean, I think that there's back to the point of, of the engagement piece, like these, these, whatever you want, whatever um, adjective you want to use for, for uh, trying to put this kind of message out there, whether you're a troll or you're just, you know, you're a provocateur or like, however you want to characterize it, they're not looking for dialogue. Nobody's looking for dialogue by saying the shit that's out there that they say. They're looking to see who is going to agree with them and who is going to disagree with them, and then they vilify the people that disagree with them. I think they uh, get more pleasure them. out of that bad reaction, I do, right? Yeah, they, they, just, they want that. Do. They want that sour reaction so that you know they can they can exploit it and get some fun poking at your buttons. Absolutely, and I think that you know the person that we both know. Um, that's, that's what they do all the time. Um, it's who that person is. It's who that person always has been. And right. one of my closest friends, you know, was one of the reasons why, because a lot of times it's hilarious. Yeah. But now that it's Look, moved I have, into this I have world, those friends. Yeah. <clears throat> now it's moved in this world. Um, it's actually taken on a dangerous, a dangerous tone to it. And, um, you know, on January 6th was the day that I uh, was shown uh, what this person had put out there in social media world. And I just said this, I can't not say something because January 6th was a dark day for our country. And regardless of your political leanings, if you can't agree with that, then you're fucked. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, seeing somebody lie about what was put out there and what happened on that day about who was, who were the people that, that ransacked uh, our right. nation's capital. Right. Uh, I just said enough, you know, enough. One of the things that also I think feeds the fire for folks wanting to say these outrageous and ridiculous things <clears throat> is because when you give them oxygen, it burns a lot brighter. But on the flip side of that coin, it's like, when people don't say you're full of shit and I know you're full of shit and I'm going to call you on it, the people that that whoever that individual is that put the first message out there was and the people that are considered their friends to say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's important too. you know, this person's still my friend. I, I agree with you. I, <clears throat> yeah. But 
It's and, and, I, you, and, and you I, saw you, you I saw them. I saw them just at, you know a few a few uh, probably a week and a half later um, at the funeral. Um, yeah, and we were fine. I mean, it was, but I literally sent to sent the messages to this person and said, you know, I saw what you had posted. It's you're full of shit. This is what happened. Like you can't call it anywhere else. Like if you and you, you know you're supporting of this fucking movement. And you did what you all said you were going to do. And now you're going to be like, oh, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. Like, why don't you stop being a child? Why don't you stop being such a snowflake? The term that you guys like to throw out about the left all the time. You're being a snowflake. Just fucking own it. Like, this is what you guys fucking did. Own it. Lost is lost. Yeah. Be a fucking adult. Yeah, look, I I, I tried to put a spin on it. Uh, No, but I mean, I'm, I'm with you because I mean, my... You know, I live, I've called New Orleans Trumplandia plenty of times um, and and always tried to draw sort of what you're describing. You know, you 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 want to confront those things up front. And then when you see your friends and they have that, you're still OK. You know, one of the the yeah. things I've mentioned, the stories I've mentioned that happened to us is we New Orleans is very lucky about dodging hurricanes uh, since I've been here. Hurricanes haven't hit us directly. And then one hit us directly last year and couple of doors down a tree had uh basically been was leaning on the house had been you know mm. sort of pushed over and i mean look i guarantee you um you know we're around a bunch of people that we don't agree with politically and my neighbor is one of my unfortunately he's moving now but i mean i have my own uh like home improvement style wilson character as a neighbor you know like this 93 year old creole wise man who never knew here. what he looked like yeah <laughs> no, I mean, all the fits is here mess so i knew exactly what he looked like but you know he was it was a lot of our conversations were were right there and and you know he was really that classic conservative from a time gone by you know republican voted republican but we would have these great discussions where i found him he and i would have so many more things we would agree on even when we disagreed it was cordial it's always the 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 like i feel like republicans that are closer to my age are not necessarily conservatives whereas i don't have a problem getting along with I never have an issue get along with conservatives. I have issues with some hardcore, you know, Republicans who aren't, uh, in my opinion, reasonable, you know. And so how I've chosen to deal with them in like your case is like, you know, like when we all came out to go and check on our neighbor, the whole community was out there trying to band together and see if they needed help and what we needed to do. And nobody was talking about their political views. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and so it's like. Right. And it, and then I think, like you're saying, if it's a discussion, one of the like, you know, you were saying that you were one way 15 years ago and you've come to some realizations. My realization is, uh, you know, using another old adage about the horses to water and making them drink. My 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 version of that is and this is specifically to like interfamily political mm-hmm. debates. Right. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. you can. You can get that horse, you can make that horse drink, but that horse will never follow you again. And yeah, and, and I think it right in your face. Well, or if they even if they let's say they don't spit it in your face, let's say it's digested, it goes through that you know that relationship is now different. Yeah. 
and that that's where I've I've kind of go about it with a little more um like I'm more interested now in why that is their conclusion. Like I ask more questions now, like, you know, and, and not in a debate oriented sense, like more just, okay, I want to understand. I, I'm trying to understand, like, how did you connect those dots without, without, of course, anybody that starts leading me down a, a QAnon and pigeonhole, I just kind of hit the hard brakes and go, uh-huh. yeah, okay. You're not, not interested in that rationality. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, that's the best I've been able to do. I certainly, have that um i'm torn i mean I, I i get i feel like we had that same thought as younger men where we think maybe we would want to be out there and be a voice but i think the roles that are more important are the ones that are are not so on the mic you know what i mean like like what yeah. you're doing you're, you're that are making you know, things work not the ones that are out front they're behind the scenes i know i know it's not sexy to say they're the electrical plumbing and framing of a house i know that's not a great sexy metaphor but it's that's so horrible. important it's it's foundation man i mean it, the the foundations you can't do anything without good foundation and and people like that whether it's nurses or you know any blue collar is the foundation of the whole country and i think we've learned that in covid ultimately and um you know and i i think that's one of those things i just hope that we can pull it together hopefully guys like you and me who can conversate can make it a little easier for people no and and honestly i mean i think that it's those it's that kind of uh it's that mentality that's needed more at the forefront anyway and it's becoming more and more important i mean the the people that are getting up there, you know, the Matt Getzes of the world, uh, or Eesh. Josh Hawley's, or AOC, yeah. or uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo. I mean, these these folks that like to be out there. I mean, sure, they're smart people. I feel like those guys. We need the people Gates that have is, a little I feel bit like more. The Gateses want their own talk show, man. Who? I feel like Matt Gates wants to be Sean Hannity. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel like that's his nat. That's what that would be a more appropriate environment for that guy is his own, you know, Chiron ridden television show (laughs) where he could just use a way all the Aquanet he wants and and go off on a rant. You know, I think that's what he wants. He is. He is the next Tucker Carlson. That's what it seems like. Right. I just I, I, I get I get I have a hard time with guys like that. Yeah, that I don't think I could have a good rational conversation in that case, but. Well, no, there's nothing rational about what they want to talk about. But I mean, that's why I'm to, glad you're out there, Dave. <clears throat> to bring, but I think I mean even, like even back then, I mean, I, I was encouraged to, uh, you know, people would be like, "Oh, well, you should run for, uh, you know, I'd support you for this, that, or the other thing." It's like I don't want to, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be out there. But you know, I think it's important that more and more important every single election cycle that we have reasonable people be out there, not just the ones that are the loudest. People that want to, want I think to solve the, problems, the they I want to have. A, oh, go ahead. Conversation about what are the what are resolutions that we can we can find. I don't know. All politicians kind of put it out there. I want to solve this problem. I want to solve that problem. But it's like you don't need to have a great campaign um, message, but you just need to show work. You just need to show that you're willing to put in the work. And I just don't think that that's the that's not the prevailing. Um, attitude that leadership that, that people think about leadership in you know and i think and i hope that that's changing i, 
hope that that well, is and true. I also, well, I hope I think I, th- I hope so too. I I do think that there's this lost art of conversation, and and to a further point, just being able to advocate for yourself and and know how to put that into words. I, I think if I had to put my money on the kind of role somebody like yourself plays in the world, it's that, you know, I think that to a, a much more personal extent, that's what maybe I, I get a chance to do for on behalf of my wife, because she's somebody who's had her own medical struggles and whatnot. And mm-hmm. there's just uh, clearly a lot of people who are not um, comfortable or, or skilled or, or, or naturally talented at being able to communicate thoroughly what it is that they need, want, are dealing with. And I, I, I do think it has a lot to do with many topics of sure education and whatnot, but I don't think there's enough people to add, that are out there communicating for them. And, um, and I, it's part of why you're on that list of who I wanted on the show. I mean, you're a friend of mine, obviously groomsmen, Love you to death, but it's what you do and who you are out there, man. Like I said, I'm glad you're out there doing what you do. I appreciate that, brother. Thanks I for doing the show, doing Dave. I mean, this is I think, uh, it's always fun to see the next coming. evolution of uh, of Chuck Langley. Charles <laughs> Charles Langley. Triple C. Ch- Charlie Chuck Charles. Who knows what Charlie the hell to call Chuck me? Charles, yeah. <laughs> no, man. Look, I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to take this moment to wrap it up and invite you back for another episode. Maybe just come on and, and be a, a co-host or sit on. We're going to do panel episodes and things, but you know, you're just yeah, I'd love to have you more often. I'm glad you took part in it and thanks for getting, the, giving us a chance to, to kind of put you on stage and, and, and like for anybody oh. listening, I mean, yeah, right. It's the wonderful day. It's, it's just that you represent sort of, I think there's a lot of people who don't know. Like there are people who will never know or understand unions, union reps, what you're doing, who it associates with. And, you know, I, this wasn't a podcast focused on that specifically, but just on the kind of person that, would take the time and energy to to do it. And I, I think and we're I, all kind of feeling what you're going through, man. Yeah, one, one thing that I, I, I guess I'll just leave is um, it's, it's becoming ever more rare because you don't have the grandfathers or the moms or the, the dads or anybody that, that kids are around, right, to come home and to talk about union issues, talk about working life issues. You know what? people see about working life is is going to be what's framed for them by Forbes or Bloomberg Business Weekly um publications that I I do read and I enjoy reading them as well I think that there's a lot of insight when you look at the economics of the way it works um <clears throat> or the business side and the interests the, the competing interests that are there quite a bit but you know people are are interested you know go through labor history Go and understand the trucker strike that happened in Minneapolis in the 1930s. Um, you know, go and read about Cesar Chavez and the farm workers in the Southwest. Um, you know, take some some labor history courses. Uh, in St. Paul, there's we you know there's an independent library called the Freedom Library that 
it's all about labor history and those those gems are out there for people to to discover and i i do hope that they will because one part of it is the work but also is just having the union consciousness that um work matters it needs to be respected and it needs to be invested in uh in a much more serious way rather than what we've been doing since the 1970s and 80s so an uplifting last note from me well said no, that's a good that's a good uplifting last note, uh, Dave. I'm really, like I said, I think uh, happy to know that there are people out there that get paid to try to keep the world as fair as possible to the guy who's putting the the muscle and sweat and stress into the world to try to keep everything going along like it should. Um, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, let me do my fancy little sign off here, bro. I appreciate your time. Thank you again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again, guys, for listening. That's uh, that was a really good episode, and uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember that we are brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network. There are more than just my podcast on the network, and you should check us out at www.ruminationsradionetwork.com. We have a lot to offer, a lot of variety, and hours and hours of entertainment for you to fill your crazy little head with. And we hope that you check us out soon. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.